The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. We need to consider how AI opens the possibility to rethink the future of work. Is it realistic to think that 50 years from now, the notion of the 40-hour workweek will be antiquated as a result of everyone receiving universal basic income? Or will we live in a drastically more unequal world where AI has driven an even greater wedge between the haves and have-nots? The answer to this question is entirely in our control if we have the understanding and foresight to plan for it now. Hi, everyone. This is the Next Big Idea Daily, and I'm your host, Michael Kovnett. Now, I'm old enough to remember when the internet was as much a utopian pipe dream as it was a massive business opportunity or an irreplaceable part of the global infrastructure. Back then, the focus was on how this remarkable tool would foster connection and community, how it would bring the knowledge of the ages to our fingertips, and how it would provide social and economic benefits to even the most isolated and disadvantaged. So how's it going? Well, now when you read about the major technology companies, you're likely to hear about monopolistic practices, privacy violations, the spread of disinformation, and the possibility of massive job loss caused by AI, if not an all-out existential threat to our species. So how did we get here? Well, three Stanford professors with an insider's view of Silicon Valley, Rob Reich, Mehran Sahami, and Jeremy Weinstein, are out with a book called System Error, Where Big Tech Went Wrong and How We Can Reboot. And in it, they lay out a manifesto for how we can reinsert human values into our smart devices and build a world where technology works better for all of us. Here they are with some big ideas from the book. I'm Rob Reich, a philosopher and director of the Center for Ethics and Society and associate director of the Institute for Human-Centered AI at Stanford University. I'm Maron Sahami, a professor and associate chair in the computer science department at Stanford and a former senior research scientist at Google. I'm Jeremy Weinstein, a professor of political science and former senior official in the Obama administration. Silicon Valley was considered the darling of innovation in the United States, spawning companies with household names and daily usage by billions of people around the world. But now, the bloom is off the rose of big tech companies. We once spoke of technology as enhancing human freedom and spreading democracy. But the conversation has shifted to the other pole. Humans are being replaced by machines, and the future of work is uncertain. Private companies surveil us in ways that governments never even contemplated, and they profit handsomely in the process. The internet ecosystem feeds hate and intolerance with its echo chambers and filter bubbles. So the conclusion seems inescapable. Our technological future is grim. But techno-utopianism and dystopianism are all too simplistic outlooks for our complex age. Instead, we need a mature reckoning with the fact that the powerful technologies dominating our lives encode within them a set of values that we had no role in choosing and that we often do not even see. Now, our task is the following. We have to rise to the defining challenge of our era, harnessing technological progress to serve rather than subvert the interests of individuals and societies. 
optimization isn't intrinsically good. The hallmark of an engineer's mindset is a commitment to optimization. When developing an algorithm, computer science courses often define the goal as providing an optimal solution to a computationally specified problem. And when you look at the world through this mindset, it's not just computational inefficiencies that annoy. Eventually, it becomes an orientation to life. As one of our colleagues at Stanford tells students, everything in life is an optimization problem. But optimization is not all that it's cracked up to be. We put speed bumps on roads near schools to protect children. Judges encourage juries to take ample time to deliberate before rendering a verdict. The media holds off on calling an election until all the polls have closed. And it's obvious that the efficient pursuit of a malicious goal, such as harming or misinforming people, makes the world worse, not better. So the quest to make something more efficient is not an inherently good thing. Have you heard of a meal replacement powder called Soylent? It was created by a Silicon Valley engineer who decided that food is an inconvenience, a pain point in a busy life. So he developed Soylent to optimize meeting one's daily nutritional needs with minimal cost and time investment. But for most people, food is not just a delivery mechanism for one's nutritional requirements. It brings gustatory pleasure. It provides for social connection. It sustains and transmits cultural identity. So a world in which Soylent spells the end of food also spells the loss of these values. Technology is neither objective nor neutral. Technology is often cast as being neutral or an objective means of eliminating the messiness of human judgment from the decision-making process. This couldn't be further from the truth. Today's technologies for decision-making incorporate the use of machine learning, algorithms that find patterns in data, to create computer models that are used to make new decisions. Consider the example of trying to screen resumes to determine who to interview, a task that Amazon.com tried to address with machine learning in 2014. You could get lots of data in the form of resumes of job applicants who already have been interviewed and note which ones were eventually hired and which ones were not. Then feed the data into a machine learning algorithm to find the patterns, for example, by determining important phrases on those resumes of people who were hired, and you could produce a model that when given a new resume could make a prediction as to whether or not this person would be likely to be hired or not. Those who would be likely hires would then be selected for an interview. Seems simple enough. But when Amazon built such a system, they found that it amplified a preference for male candidates, downgrading resumes that included the term women, for example, being a member of a women in business club or attending certain all-women universities. Amazon had not set out to create a sexist algorithm, but that's what had been produced as a result of biases in the data that had been used to train the system. Even more striking was that when Amazon, one of the most technically sophisticated companies on the planet, tried to eliminate the bias, they were unable to rid the tool of all potential discrimination and ended up scrapping it. The Amazon resume screening story is just one example of many algorithmic decision-making tools that have been developed to make consequential decisions about our lives. Questions of who gets access to credit, what kinds of health care someone is approved for, and who is granted bail in the criminal justice system are all examples of algorithmic decision-making systems that have been built, deployed, and shown to produce results with gender or racial bias. 
At scale, such systems can reinforce and exacerbate inequalities at a societal level. In system error, we raise questions of how these systems can be understood, challenged, and regulated, explaining how elements of algorithmic decision-making, including the ability to audit the results of algorithms, obtain transparency into their workings, and guarantee due process for those who want to challenge their decisions, are essential if we want to ensure that these technological wonders work to everyone's benefit, rather than insidiously creating greater inequality under the guise of objectivity. Artificial intelligence is a mirror to our own values. In the past decade, artificial intelligence, or AI, has been touted as the next great revolution in technology. It will safely drive cars and trucks for us, diagnose disease better than human doctors, keep a watchful eye on our aging population, and even fight our wars. What a time to be alive! But what does that mean for taxi and truck drivers when all our vehicles become automated? What happens to the radiologists whose diagnoses are less accurate than the breast cancer prediction system recently built by Google? And what is the importance of our own labor in leading a fulfilling life? Sure, there are some tasks we won't miss. No one seems to lament how washing machines have made laundry a mostly automated task for millions of people. But as the growing capabilities of AI threatens to displace more workers, we need to take a hard look at what we really value about human labor and how we can prepare for a world in which humans can flourish alongside smarter and smarter machines. As we explain in the book, that means developing broader educational opportunities to reskill the workforce and mitigating the uneven impacts of AI that will have on different people and their livelihoods. Ultimately, it means getting clarity on the values we want promoted in the building and deployment of AI if we want to avoid exacerbating societal inequalities and ensure a future where AI is seen as a benefit to all, not just the small handful of companies that develop the technology. And on an even broader scale, we need to consider how AI opens the possibility to rethink the future of work. Is it realistic to think that 50 years from now, the notion of the 40-hour workweek will be antiquated as a result of everyone receiving universal basic income? Or will we live in a drastically more unequal world where AI has driven an even greater wedge between the haves and have-nots? The answer to this question is entirely in our control, if we have the understanding and foresight to plan for it now. Societal values are being chosen by a small group of unaccountable people. System Error opens with the story of Joshua Browder, a Stanford graduate who founded a company called Do Not Pay. The company helps people get out of parking tickets at the click of a button, because in Browder's words, parking tickets are a tax on the most vulnerable. Browder's already scaling this technology across cities and across countries. But here's the problem. Parking tickets exist for a reason. They deter people from parking by fire hydrants, blocking driveways, or occupying spaces intended for the disabled. Enforcement can be used to address broader community priorities, such as reducing traffic and congestion. And they constitute a meaningful source of revenue for governments necessary to meet the needs of a city and its residents. This story encapsulates our current dilemma. New technologies that achieve an enormous scale impose the values of those who design the technologies on the rest of us. The choices made about what technology to build, the problems that are being solved, and who is impacted are chosen by a small number of people, technologists, executives, and venture capitalists, whose decisions reflect their own desires and preferences, not necessarily those of society. <laughs> 
We see this in the decisions of Facebook to prioritize connections among people, even as the platform is used to spread misinformation or to organize violence. Or in Google's revenue model that depends on aggregating your personal data at a great cost to privacy. Many other choices are invisible to us, even though they directly impact our democracy and the well-being of our fellow citizens. This should make all of us uncomfortable, as we have little recourse now to challenge the decisions made by technologists and to hold these companies accountable for the externalities they produce that impact all of us. Democracy must rise to the challenge of the information age. Right now, it's easy to feel that technological progress is rolling over us with the wheels of inevitability. What can we really do about new technological discoveries or innovations? How can we actually shape the products we buy or influence the effects of technology on society? But the reality is that the effects of new technologies are neither preordained nor fixed in stone. We, as citizens in a democracy, have an important role in how this story plays out. Because the rules that govern technology will no longer be written by hackers and companies alone. They'll reflect the inevitable push and pull among the companies that make things, the governments that oversee them, the consumers who use them, and the people who are affected by them. When we have competing values that we need to referee, which is nearly always the case with new technologies, we don't need to leave these decisions to a small group of unaccountable technologists. We have our democracy, the best mechanism for surfacing diverse views, seeking agreement on a collective approach, and turning those shared values into rules that influence and constrain powerful tech companies. Regulation is just a loaded term for these rules that help us get what we want. Democracy not only adjudicates our differences of opinion, but provides transparency, allows for decisions to be challenged, and ultimately enables all of us to participate in setting the agenda for our technological future. Sure, there are decisions we can make as individuals in how we choose to engage with technology, but like the roadway system, it's only through a combination of regulation and personal choice that we really get the outcomes we're looking for. Thank you, gentlemen. Listeners, one thing I do like about technology is how easy it's made it to share big ideas. If you've got one of them newfangled smartphones, you have access to an app store. And in that app store, you're sure to find an app called The Next Big Idea. Download that to your phone and you'll never be lacking for insight, knowledge, and inspiration. So give it a try. And come back tomorrow when we'll hear from Bridget Delaney, author of Reasons Not to Worry, How to Be Stoic in Chaotic Times. Sounds like something I could use. I'm Michael Kavnet. See you tomorrow.